You're listening to I Am Here. Hello, Christine. So you are on a podcast called The Unexplored Places. I sure am. Yes. You and I kind of met on email. Yes, we did. Because you submitted your podcast to RPG Casts, and we had this really awesome email conversation about how I had these categories for female players and and female hosts and LGBTQ plus groups but I didn't have a category for uh, non-binary people. And we proceeded to have this amazing conversation where I was like, oh my God, I started RPG casts in part to highlight women and then realized that I totally blanked and ignored this entire group of also underrepresented peoples in the tabletop gaming community when my intention was not so much just women, it was not just men. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's sort of a a tricky situation a lot of times with things like this. Um, I'm also a writer, so you see it a lot with writing submissions where people say, oh, we want we want submissions from women. And what they mean is that they want submissions from people who aren't men. But just the way that you know, we're used to talking about that, that means women. And so for someone who um, grew up, uh, you know, for a fair amount of my life identifying as, as female, based on, you know, the way I was born and all of that, it's something that I tend to sort of, I see that and I go, oh, that's me. And then I go, wait, that's not me. But it is me, but it's not me. Because what they mean is not men, and I'm not a man. And so it's it's sort of a, a peculiar space in terms of not identifying as female, but wanting to sort of be seen as something that's, that's certainly an underrepresented voice, especially in things like podcasting and in things like gaming. So, and I was, you know, so happy that you were open and, and willing to, you know, alter things to make up for that. That space was really wonderful. And I've, you know, it, <laughs> Um, I will just go back sometimes and check the website to see what other non-binary players and non-binary hosts are on your site because I didn't know of more than maybe two or three other podcasts with non-binary players on them until um, more than that went up on your site, which has been a really cool thing to explore since that happened. And that's what I want to hear. That's awesome because I wanted to create a space where these underrepresented uh, and marginalized groups of peoples, especially, like you said, in gaming and podcasting, are highlighted. And it was this whole area that I was like, ignorant of. And that's my my own personal ignorance. And I want people to call me out on it. And I love that you were like, hey, maybe that could be tagged as that. I guess I felt I felt so sad that you initially were like, I'm non-binary. Would that count under female hosts? And I was like, no! Oh my gosh, no! <laughs> because I would never want somebody to change or alter their own identity to suit a box category on my site when that was, when the intention was like, like, no, I want to highlight people who aren't men. 
And I was so excited that we had this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, I want to highlight you and (laughs) others like you. And I love hearing that, you know, you look back on the site because other podcasts saw the new categories and were like, oh, we want to be listed as that. And that makes me really happy because I think that one of the biggest problems is that people who don't get to see themselves represented see something and then immediately think that's not for me (laughs) because they don't see themselves represented. So for me as a woman, when I first started hearing women GMing, even though I had been playing D&D for years, I was like, whoa, I can do this? Yeah, there's sort of a difference between like knowing it intellectually and then like seeing it and then being able to really like absorb the fact that it is actually true. Um, I had much the same thing. I was really interested in things like Dungeons and Dragons sort of abstractly in high school, just from what I knew about it. You know, I grew up with older brothers who were sort of tangentially interested in it. They did more um, Warhammer and things like that. But, you know, I knew of it. I went to gaming stores with them and things like that. But as a, as, as somewhat in an all girls middle and high school where no one was really sitting around saying, let's play Dungeons and Dragons, I thought, oh, well, you know, that's a boys game. And it wasn't until college that I even started playing when I had someone be like, hey, do you want to play this with me? And I was like, oh, oh, can, can I? <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> that's, I'm capable of doing that. And then it, again, it wasn't until after I graduated college that I started GMing. At all. And honestly, I think even when I did start GMing, I didn't, I didn't know any other female or non-binary GMs at all. Even on the, you know, live streams or podcasts that I would watch or listen to, it was still pretty much entirely male GMs. So. Right. And, and while we're seeing a surge of popularity in tabletop RPGs, we're still not seeing necessarily as much representation Mm -hmm. as we would like. Women are still not seen or heard as much as men. But the more I started talking to listeners and the more I started interacting with people and having people request podcast recommendations and they were like, hey, do you know of a podcast where where like the group is LGBTQ friendly? And I was like, oh, I mean, I know a couple, but I can't point you to ones that I personally haven't listened to where they have overtly said that an individual is LGBTQ or a player or a character is. Yeah, it's it's sort of a strange thing. Like with with something like gender, it's pretty easy to tell. I mean, obviously, with non-binary folks like myself, you can't always tell someone's gender from their voice. But for the most part, you can sort of tell the breakdown of a group from listening to them. But with something like LGBTQ identity or, you know, queer identity more broadly, it's, it's especially when we think about the fact that storytelling podcasts and RPG podcasts tend to focus more on the character than on the player. It, it's not something that, you know, necessarily gets brought up all the time. So, you, you know, you can have LGBTQ players or hosts and, you know, that if that's not sort of, the focus of the story, you might have no way of knowing that. I mean, I listened to, I think I listened to Critical Role for like two years before anyone even told me like, oh, did you know that someone on Critical Role is actually bisexual? And I was like, what? I had no idea. And I I think for me, part of what got me really excited about getting back into gaming 
recently and and starting my podcast is that, you know, I'd listened to a lot of Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. Um, I listened to, yeah, Critical Role and a couple other things. Um, but I'd never really thought of it as like a means for telling the kinds of stories I wanted to tell. Most of my art is focused on my identity as a queer person. And most of my storytelling really focuses on that. And the same goes for, uh, you know, most of my friends at this point in my life. And so I listened to things like Critical Role and I listened to things like The Adventure Zone. And even when they had, you know, queer characters, it wasn't like, oh, this is like a queer story being told by queer people. You know, it didn't feel like a place for that until I started listening to Friends at the Table, which sort of makes a point of, you know, acknowledging that many of its players are are queer or LGBT. And so many of its characters, player characters, non-player characters, all of them have have queer identities. And that that's sort of an inherent part of the story, even when it's not necessarily the plot. And hearing that was like, oh, this is a medium through which I can be telling the kinds of stories that I want to tell. And that's such a that's such a wonderful thing. Yeah. That there are those podcasts out there like yours, like Friends at the Table, where the storytellers are creating the story together and being a bit more overt about saying, this is a place where we can tell our stories, we can be ourselves Mm -hmm. and not have to explain, not have to apologize, not have to pretend to be something we are not. Absolutely. And I think that's really important for listeners to be able to hear that and have that click where they say, oh, that's me. I can do that. So why did you start your podcast? Because you said initially it wasn't to have a place for you to tell your story with being queer as a kind of highlight or strong or purpose, I guess. <laughs> but it has shaped into that. Yeah. So so I want to hear more about that. Absolutely. Um, so I started the project for sort of a handful of reasons that all came together at once. When I sort of conceived of it and got the group that I'm working with together, it was, um, I want to say it was last May. And I'd been listening to a lot of podcasts. I'd sort of a, a rough period of time for most of last spring where um, due to some family circumstances, I spent a lot and lot and lot of time in hospital waiting rooms. And I was listening pretty much consistently to three or four different RPG podcasts to sort of kill time and sort of cheer myself up and give myself something to distract me while I was doing that. And I was at the time, I was DMing a Dungeons and Dragons game with some friends that I was really enjoying, but it wasn't giving me sort of the, you know, between the time commitment and sort of not being able to actually, you know, get together every week. And between the the way the Dungeons and Dragons sort of is structured, I wasn't really sort of telling the, the story I wanted to tell with that game. And it was fun and it was a good way to blow off steam. And, you know, we had some cool adventures and it was a, a fun group of people, but it wasn't, I really sort of wanted a project to throw myself into. At the same time as that, I wanted a chance to explore some games that weren't Dungeons and Dragons. Um, like I mentioned, I was listening to a lot of Friends at the Table, and they use so many different systems that I was really excited about trying all of them. And I was having a harder time, you know, selling my Dungeons and Dragons group on, well, let's try a different system. Because they were like, yeah, but we have these characters for Dungeons and Dragons. Like, we're here to play Dungeons and Dragons. We all bought dice. Let us do that. And also at the same time, I had a couple of friends from college that... I wanted to work on something with. 
we were spread out over the course of a couple of years and we'd finally all graduated. And I was sort of looking for a reason to do something that would kind of force us to stay in contact in a way that we hadn't in the years that had passed since we, you know, since the first of us graduated. So I started putting it together because of that. And I said, you know, we'll do a podcast. I don't know what system yet, but we'll kind of figure out what we want to be doing from there. And I went through a couple of, I think I, I like wrote up proposals for a couple of different possible stories that I sent to a, a few of the people that are currently on the podcast. And, you know, there was a science fiction one, there was a fantasy one using all different systems. And then there was the one that we ended up going with, which is uh, Monster of the Week. And the reason that we settled on that one is actually because my academic research is on monster literature. And uh, sort of having worked with me through college, my friends knew that this, that probably the story I wanted to be telling was a story about monsters. Part and parcel with that is the fact that my research is also in queer theory, which means that every time I think about monsters, I'm thinking about how the sort of inherent queerness of the monster figure and all of that. And so from that, it really blossomed out into if I'm telling a story about monsters, I have to be telling a story about queerness in some way. There was really no way to avoid it. And so there was sort of a balancing act of, am I going to be able to, one, sell everyone in the podcast on this idea, which turned out to not be a problem at all. And two, to really make something that people would want to listen to. But, you know, like I said, I realized, and especially having heard some of the reception from, you know, we're eight episodes in at this point, and we've had some incredible feedback from people who are listening and people who are really excited to be listening to a podcast that is sort of as explicitly up in front queer as we are. And so it's really been amazing to sort of be able to embrace that as we get feedback and as time goes on and as the story develops to really sort of take that as one of the things that defines what we are as a podcast and sort of makes us stand out from a lot of other podcasts. Yeah. Right. Um, I think I, I had a moment where I was very worried where we'd recorded two episodes, but we hadn't released anything yet. And then the Adventure Zone announced that they were going to be playing a, a short arc in Monster of the Week. And I like panicked because I was like, oh, but the system was what was making us so unique. And like now a really like <laughs> popular podcast is going to be using it. And I'm just going to feel like we're ripping them off. And all of my friends were like, Christine, you are telling a story that the Adventure Zone would not be able to tell. Just like they're going to tell a story that you wouldn't be able to tell. Like trust in the story and trust in your unique voice. And like, like you're serving a different purpose and you're going to be telling a different story that's going to be cool for different reasons. And it's okay to be playing the same system as somebody <laughs> else. <laughs> that's awesome. That, man, you have such wonderful and supportive friends. I really like do. I don't know what I do <laughs> without them. <laughs> that's fantastic. I just like, you know, the anxiety, because no matter who you yeah. are, putting putting a podcast out is like, who hits nerve wracking? Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, and so there's all those anxieties. And so it's so great that you have a group of friends who not only are supportive of you, but can say, Christine, you have a story to tell mm -hmm. that nobody else can tell. I really like that because even though we can connect in different ways and you can connect and say, I'm a queer person representing that group, but also your story and what you tell and your experiences as a queer individual 
are never going to be the same as another queer individual. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that's wonderful that you are both representing a group, but also being able to do something that nobody else can. And I think that's really great. And to segue, tell me a little bit about your story, about, like, let's delve a little bit deeper um, on it. Yeah. I want to hear more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, the Unexplored Places eventually we're hoping will be a number of different stories. But at the current moment, the arc we're working on right now is uh, a monster hunting story a la Supernatural or Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Teen Wolf or The X-Files or every other, you know, like monster hunting TV show that I've wanted to be so much better than what it actually ends up being. Um, and that was my that was my pitch to my players. That's a great pitch. Imagine if I had written Buffy or if I had written Teen Wolf and I didn't have any reason to be disappointed with the actual TV show as it ended up being. <laughs> Um, so it takes place in a small college town in rural Ohio. The sort of running joke there is that we all met at a small college in rural Ohio, around which <laughs> uh, the town of Deliverance and the uh, the college, Fairweather University, are pretty explicitly inspired by our college. <laughs> but it is, it's a town in which uh, monsters are hidden, but pretty prevalent, and in which there is a a sect of monster hunters dating back to the 1800s and the founding of the university, which is sort of inherently sort of intertwined with this monster hunting group, which was founded by the founder of the university. So that's sort of our general idea. We are at this point, we've wrapped up or are just wrapping up our first full arc of the story. Um, our first mystery, I guess. Right. And we're about to jump into our second one, which is pretty exciting. And we have a, a really cool and mostly queer cast of characters who are so much more beyond like my wildest dreams for the characters for this story ever would have been. <laughs> so we've got a, uh, a member of the monster hunting sect. Um, we've got a student at the college who just wants to have a normal, regular life. And we've got the divine being that is assigned to guard him. Um, <laughs> and then we've also got a character who lives in the town who has just found out that he is a vampire. Oh, wow. That sounds really great. I have never played Monster of the Week. Yeah. Well, you're jumping in at a really good time for the story. You mentioned that your character is playing, your characters in the story itself are queer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we all met doing theater in college. So obviously the perfect overdramatic type for uh, this kind of thing. Oh, no kidding. So we've, yeah, we've got um, two of our uh, players are people of color. Two of us, including myself, are non-binary and uh, I believe Three of our players are queer identified in some uh, some way or another. I'm bisexual. Uh, my girlfriend also is bisexual. And then, so sort of a mixed bag. And then um, in terms of the way that sort of mapped out onto characters, my girlfriend Chaz's character, Lance, is bi. Roman's character, Birdie, is trans. And then Morgan's character, Rowan, who is a, a divine being of some kind, has has no sort of, I guess it's kind of agender. 
genderqueer has no specific human gender identity, but uses they, them pronouns. Cool. Yeah. That's really awesome. How has being you been in the tabletop gaming and podcasting community? Have you found yourself feeling welcome or feeling like there are big hurdles to cross? Or I want to know what that's like and how you've faced that and how you how you go about interacting in the community. So I guess I was going to start out by saying that it's been incredibly welcoming, but I think that's specifically because I've limited, for the most part, my interactions to online where I can kind of tailor that experience a little bit better. I um, Back when I lived in Baltimore, I did not do any in-person uh, gaming in terms of like, you know, going to gaming shop. I, I frankly avoided for a long time the like comic and games shop in my hometown because one time I went there in college and I had a pretty hostile experience with one of the people who worked there. Um, and though they had Dungeons and Dragons groups and games pretty regularly, I never sort of explored that option. Now that I'm here um, at university I'm working on my master's degree. There's a tabletop gaming society and they hold every month, they hold sort of one shot sessions. And I've never been to one. I'm on their email list, but I've never gone because the people that I interacted with when I signed up for the email list were all cisgendered men. And I sort of, I don't know for sure that that's the composition of the rest of the group entirely. I could be completely wrong, but there's sort of a hesitation in sort of getting out there and and making that choice because I don't want to go and get involved with something and then be stuck in a situation where I'm uncomfortable and I don't feel like I can leave. Um, but in terms of, of online, I think being queer and doing this has connected me to a lot of really incredible people that has made this not only, you know, more feasible in terms of feeling supported and feeling like I'm doing something worthwhile, but also just like, you know, making friends and really sort of finding people that I wouldn't have met otherwise that I, I really like talking to that I like following on Twitter and hearing their thoughts and having conversations with. Um, so that's been pretty incredible. I have a friend who pretty much every time any thread goes around, that's like, hi, I'm looking for LGBTQ tabletop podcasts. Please send me some you know, he tags me in them and I can say, hey, I've got this one if you want to listen to it. And that's been phenomenal in terms of of that. Um, I think in part, I don't feel like I've experienced much resistance online because one, we're pretty small at this point. Um, you know, with something like Critical Role, you get, you can't scroll through the YouTube comments of a Critical Role video without seeing people being really nasty about their female players, just really rude. Um, yeah. with that sort of horrible double standard of, you know, treating a woman like she can't play a role-playing game because you don't like her personality or you don't think she's pretty or you don't agree with what she did when you'd sort of give a man a pass at all of that. Right. So I think the smallness of it has sort of insulated us maybe a little bit. I think probably if if, you know, we had any sort of major following of any kind, we would experience a lot more of that. I think there would probably be a lot of people out there who are like, what do you mean you're using a role-playing game to tell a gay story? You can't do that. <laughs> but we haven't had any of that, which is really nice. And I think the other, I mean, the other thing is certainly that being a podcast rather than a, a 
Twitch stream or a YouTube video series or anything like that insulates us a little bit as well. Because particularly for women and people of color, a lot of the time, it becomes about your appearance more than about what you're doing when you include video. Yes, (laughs) that is very true. It's awful. So what do you want to see that is different in the RPG and or RPG podcasting communities? What do you wish was different? And and how do you think we can go about this? And how can I help? How can I make it not a toxic environment? Yeah, it's a it's a big question. And I think it's a question that happens on so many different levels. Because you've got the level of people talking about games, and that's sort of what, what this is, and what you do with RPG casts, and what people do on Twitter, where it's really awesome to say, hey, I've got this cool story that I'm listening, or this cool podcast that I'm listening to, and it's this super diverse group, and everyone should listen to it. And doing that sort of promotion is hugely important, because word of mouth is is how things like this spread, and how things get better to a certain extent. You know, when podcasts with diverse groups of players and, and hosts become more popular, it becomes more sort of normalized. And that's awesome. On a sort of game group, I guess, based level in terms of, you know, who you're playing with and things like that. And in terms of, again, that sort of, I don't know that I want to play with this group of people that I'm not familiar with, because I'm worried that you know, they won't accept me or they won't want to tell the kind of stories that I'm interested in and all that. That gets harder because, you know, you can be in a group of really well-intentioned people and sort of one person making a negative comment can ruin the entire thing. I played in, in college with a group of three other people, two of whom were lovely and made me feel really welcome as the only non male player at the time in the group. And the other one just, kind of kept overtly sexualizing my female character for completely inappropriate reasons in the middle of the game. And so I said, hey, guys, I can't, you know, I really like you two, but I can't play this anymore. Yeah. And, it, you know, if I'd been more confident at the time, I probably could have specifically said, you know, gone to the GM and said, this player is making me uncomfortable. Can you either talk to him or can we try to, like, do something else? Um, I didn't have the confidence at the time because, again, I didn't, I felt like I was being allowed into this space as, as a non-male player that I didn't think had been my space. Right. So I felt like I wasn't in the place to make demands for my own safety and comfort. And that was really hard. And that, again, is the kind of thing that stops me from playing with people that I don't know. You know, I, I've been in several Dungeons & Dragons groups at this point in time, but they're always with people that I know and who know me and know what I'm about beforehand, because I know that those people know to expect this of me, and I can expect that they'll respect that in a way. Sort of the third level, I guess, is um, is sort of the narrative-based level. Um, I, I guess by the time this episode comes out, this will be out. I've written an article recently that's going up soon about sort of transgender narratives in Dungeons & Dragons. Um, the fifth edition player's handbook says some really interesting things about like you can create a character who doesn't conform to the gender binary you can create a character who like is a woman but who was born in a man's body etc etc and it you know sort of gives this game like system level permission to tell queer and trans 
stories, but um, they've recently released the fifth edition adaptation of Tomb of Horrors in which there's a room that when you walk into the room, your characters, uh, I think according to the book, quote, uh, sex and alignment are reversed. Which, uh, on one hand, is is a trope that can be really troubling for yeah. gender nonconforming and transgender people, and on the other hand, leads to the kind of stories that mock that in a way. I was watching yeah. Rooster Teeth's Heroes and Halfwits as they played through Tomb of Horrors, and watching sort of the oh ha ha funny sex change jokes that ensued for the rest of the episode when a character entered that room really turned me off from the entire show. In general, it made me feel uncomfortable and not so much unsafe, but it was not the kind of story I wanted to be hearing. It's not the kind of story that I feel like we should be encouraging on like a game mechanic level. Right. So there's, there's a mechanical awareness of in designing a game, you give permission for certain kinds of stories to be told and you reward certain kinds of stories. That's how game design works. And to have games that even like, you know, Powered by the Apocalypse games, there's like a gender section and you choose like male, female, transgressive, whatever, depending on the, the playbook or depending on the game system. It's they're all different. But I recently looked into one that I was thinking of playing and the options were male, female. And I said, OK, this is not a game that's encouraging the kind of stories I want to be telling or I'm comfortable right. telling. So I'm not going to play it. You bring up a really great point about like mechanically and and the actual design of the game because there's always that section where it's like name your character. And naming your character is so much fun, at least I think so. <laughs> the hardest thing is the fact that you get given this list in these mechanical rule books that say female names, mm -hmm. male names. And why can't they just write feminine and masculine or even just like or names. just here's, here's the a names. list of names. <laughs> and if you are so insistent on wanting people to know that these names are more feminine while these names are more masculine, you could use those terms instead of female and male. Yeah, there's there's almost like a hypocrisy to the way that the D&D 5th edition player's handbook is laid out. And that it's specifically in almost a like condescending gesture of like, oh yeah, you're included too, says like, yeah, you can play a character who's non-binary, you can play a character who's trans, but then doesn't actually really give you the space to do that. And at a certain level, it becomes the GM's job to make sure that that space is there at the table. We can't sort of right. count on the system to do all of the work for us, but it would be really nice sometimes if the system would do a little more of the legwork for us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, and in that example of, like, the nameless, like, how hard is that to change the word from female to feminine? Mm -hmm. Like, you can be a man and embrace femininity mm -hmm. and vice versa. And you can be non-binary and embrace either or both. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but the rule book isn't willing to, to make such, to me, what would be such a simple change. Mm -hmm. And like, why, why didn't they think to just like do this change that would immediately and very simply make me feel like this space is a space for me? Absolutely. And I think that the, the ability to do that and the ability for that to happen, not only at the table, but on a sort of systematic, you know, level is, is pretty clear based on the number of, of women that play Dungeons and Dragons 
now. There are so many women who play Dungeons and Dragons. And like 40 years ago, Gary Gygax was pretty infamous for saying like, ah, women don't like strategy games. Women don't like war games. Women aren't going to play my game. (laughs) And like, yeah, sure, Gary Gygax, like plenty of women are playing your game now. But and a large part of that, you know, it would have happened probably regardless. But part of that is the the way that the fifth edition players handbook puts images of women front and center in the book in the same way that it puts images of men. And so Certainly. to be able to push that and say, okay, so now women are a little more included, but how can we have this same sort of structural inclusion, not just on a sort of, we're acknowledging that you exist and we're touching on you, but we're not really making any effort to include you thing that they're doing. Like, how can they really make that structural shift to actively include trans and gender nonconforming people. Right. I think you're right. Like the work needs to be done mechanically in these systems and not just D&D. There's a lot of books like, you know, there's a lot of games that do it really well. And there's a lot of games that don't do it well. Absolutely. And at some point, the work needs to shift from the GM trying to make the game a place where everybody can feel like it is their place to be mm-hmm. versus the design simply acknowledging like overtly mm-hmm. that anybody can and should play. <laughs> yeah. Like I should never expect you to educate me about being non-binary and what non-binary identification is mm-hmm. and what that means. I'm really appreciative that I have people who have provided me with like links and like hey here's where you can start to look and here's where you can find some information but i'm not gonna like i'm not gonna teach you a course (laughs) like i'm not gonna sit down and be your professor and teach a course to you it's up to me to read and to learn these things and i think that that's what needs to shift in game design is like it should be up to the designers to learn and shift their mentality and their thinking as they design to make it a more inclusive space. It shouldn't be up to the players and the GM to force it Mm -hmm. into a place that works. Absolutely. Yeah. Because that's just, it's just so, it's so backward. (laughs) Yeah. But at the same time, like that is so true. And also every GM should constantly be aware of their players' comfort levels and their players, even not just when it comes to identity, but just when it comes to like having fun at the table. I think there's an idea that like, I don't know, I don't know quite how to phrase this, but I I think one of the most important things about being a GM is understanding what your players are interested in and also what they're not interested in or comfortable with and not pushing the boundaries on your players' comfort levels, whether that's in terms of stories that revolve around sort of identity related issues like gender or race, or whether it's, it's things like trauma and it's things like violence and it's things, you know, that, that people for whatever reason don't want to be telling a story about something that I do with my players in, in unexplored places, but also in every game that I GM is we, we draw out a system of, of lines of things that, here's what we want in the game. Here's what we absolutely don't want in the game. And that can become sort of a mechanism for making, you know, marginalized players feel more comfortable to have someone say, I really don't want, you know, especially with something like fantasy, you know, allegorical racism is such a, 
sort of huge thematic component yeah. of so much fantasy. And to be oh, able yes. to, to have a player be able to say to you, I just don't want there to be like, or racism. Like, I really am not interested in stories about racism of any kind. I deal with that enough in my daily life. I don't want it in my fiction and my fun and my hobby as well. And to be able to then take that and say, okay, that's a hard line that won't be in this world is so important. Right. I mean, GMs always have to, and players and just like groups in general, mm-hmm. absolutely um, need to be aware of like the comfort levels of everybody and, and, and not cross those boundaries. And I think it's awesome that you lay things out in advance of playing with all of your groups. Because when I went on to Mouse Guardians, we started as a gaming group. And it was really great because our GM at the time, we've switched GMs, but our GM at the time, he right at the beginning was like, I don't know you guys, we all lived in different parts of North America. (laughs) And we all just happened to connect via Twitter. And he said, I don't know you. So I don't know what kinds of things you are and aren't okay with. So we're going to do this system where it is an X system. You type X, you message me X, you say X, Mm -hmm. and the game stops. And we discuss what happened, where did you become uncomfortable, what did I say, what did somebody say or do, and how can we avoid it in future? Because none of us knew each other. And it's kind of hard when you don't know each other to be like, uh, okay, so I was sexually, I can say this because I was, I was sexually assaulted and harassed. And so I am not okay with any kind of implications yeah. of that in game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm comfortable saying that because that happened to me a while ago. I've gotten through that. I'm comfortable talking about it, but it's not necessarily something that until until now that I would necessarily put out up front. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that that it's kind of the job of everybody to to make this space a comfortable space. Mm-hmm. And whether that's as you play or in advance, even if the rules of a game have mechanically made it as open as possible, it's important at the table to do that too. Mm-hmm. For situations where you might be like worried about speaking up. It's always good to know that you have permission to do so in a way. And not that you need permission to call someone out on some, you know, some bullshit or whatever, but like in a group that you're, you want to be comfortable with and in a group of people that you're friends with, it, it can be hard sometimes to, to speak up because you're worried about they might take it personally or, you know, something like that. And to have that sort of explicit tacit permission to just like say, okay, you fucked up is such a relief. Yeah. And I would love for us to get to a point where per- permission isn't needed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, re- regardless of what group you are, permission isn't needed to just call people out on their bullshit and to say, like, that's not okay. And especially in the online community, you think about, like, if somebody were saying certain, some of those things that trolls say online in person. Yeah. Bystanders, I hope at least. At least I know that I would be pretty shocked and be like, hey, whoa, you can't say stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's not okay. <laughs> so I, I guess like I want our place to become a place where you don't have to give permission. You don't mm-hmm. have to ask permission. You don't have to you don't have to second guess. You don't have to walk into that game store and be like, Ugh, what kind of treatment am I going to get today? Yeah, <laughs> but it's I mean, it's all it's all the same thing, really. I mean, it's. The thing that we can do to make marginalized people feel more included in RPG communities is to be conscientious and to be aware of that kind of thing. And the better we get at that, the more comfortable people will be able to be at the table 
in terms of sort of, you know, feeling confident that they'll be able to have fun without having to, you know, be worried about policing their friend's behavior or, or that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And that was something that I was really worried about with the categorizations on my site was I struggled a little bit before choosing to include all these additional categories, not because I I didn't want to promote the work of people who fell into those categories, but I worry about simply being recognized for what token Mm -hmm. an individual is like oh (laughs) we have a black guy check that box off like we have a girl check that box off like because i want to be welcome at a table for who i am Mm -hmm. and not because i fit a certain visible box or invisible box you know like i want to be invited to a table because of who i am Mm -hmm. not not because of what I am. Absolutely, yeah. It was more like I want to highlight the stories. Yeah. And that's where that's where I was really excited about starting this podcast where I get to interview people about them and their story because I want I want you to be able to tell your story and promote your story and your storytelling in a way that says, "Hey, I'm not telling a story about being queer so that I can appease mm-hmm. somebody or the greater world and have them congratulate me on telling a story about queer people. Yeah. I want to tell a story about queer people because I because that's my story. Yeah. That's who I am, <laughs> you know? And that's the place where I feel like the more we highlight these stories, the more at least in the influences that we have we can make the place a more inclusive and welcoming area to be in Mm -hmm. and we can start at that level that we have the power to start at yeah absolutely you know we talked about the different levels of what we want where we want to see change and some of it is more than just where we are but doing what we're doing can help our immediate influence yeah (laughs) of individuals so I'm really excited that that you're doing what you're doing. And that makes me really happy. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I'm sure there are people who listen or who will listen to your podcast or hear your podcast and have that same reaction that I had when hearing a woman GM. And it's like, oh, I can tell stories too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can tell my story. Yeah, it's, it's, it's both. It's, I can tell stories too. And it's also, I mean, I, I've had a lot of experiences in, um, I did a lot of creative writing in college and, uh, I had a lot of experiences in creative writing workshops where it was sort of like people would tr- go to comment on my story and they'd be like, okay, yeah, another gay story. Like, can't you change it up? Can't you do something different? And it's like, well, like, I want to be in a place where I can tell my story and have people accept it as my story and not just like, oh yeah, okay, you're telling another gay story because that's all you do. Like, the categorization, I guess, isn't useful in that direction, if you know what I mean. It's sort of yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not only, oh, I can tell stories too, but also I can tell my story because my story is worth telling. And it is worth telling. And and it's worth it's worth hearing. And it's worth hearing by people who identify with you. And it's worth hearing by people who don't identify mm-hmm. with you. And when I hear friends of mine say that they don't get to hear their stories 
it kind of clicks with me where I'm like, whoa, I see and hear my story everywhere. Yeah. And you don't? (laughs) Like, oh, but you never get to see yourself represented? Like, that's not okay. And so I just, I get so excited when, when, when people feel like they can tell their story and I get excited because then I get to hear a story that I would have never been able to think of or write or create or be a part of Mm -hmm. because it's something so different. And, and it it just, it makes me really happy that it exists and that you exist. (laughs) (laughs) I was so nervous about making a podcast in general, because I was sort of so nervous about my ability to tell a story on the spot that was worth more than just the people at the table listening to. There was sort of a like, almost like an imposter syndrome gut response to like, well, you know, I'm not like, you know, I'm not Matthew Mercer. I'm not Griffin McElroy. I'm not Austin Walker. Like, why should, why would people want to listen to, to me talk for an hour and a half every other week? I'm I'm just like a 25 year old person who's done some creative writing. Like I'm not, you know, a published writer or an exciting journalistic voice or anything in, you know, but it's been so rewarding to see people caring about something that I've made. And it's been so inspiring to like see people reacting to, to a story that I've told and, and especially like not quite in real time because we record in advance, but you know, in, episodically to see people go from week to week on that cliffhanger and think, oh, this is what I think is going to happen. I've had people on Twitter message me like, here's my theory for what's going to (laughs) happen at the end of this arc. And it's so rewarding to have that engagement with other people that the fact that I ever questioned that anyone would want to hear the story that I, I wanted to tell with my friends is baffling because of course the pe- of course there are people who want to hear the story that I'm telling with my friends. Yeah. And it like confirms for you yeah. that like your story is worth being told. Mm-hmm. And and that validation is really necessary. Yeah. It shouldn't be necessary. We <laughs> should just all feel like we are valid and our being is valid and deserves to be heard. But in a world where societally it is not. Yeah. <laughs> It's validating to have outside voices say, like, keep doing what you're doing. And I love this. And I want to hear more. And I hope that after our interview, people check out your podcast more (laughs) and kind of have that same reaction of like, I want to hear more. I want to, I want to know what happens next. And I want to continue hearing your story. And I want you to continue telling your story because it's just it's just so so important to individuals and to society on on a less heavy note because it's just such a fun question yes, to ask please. is there an rpg game that you've always wanted to play but have never had the chance there's so many <laughs> <laughs> yeah being someone who for a time had three jobs and who is now a graduate student and has not had time to play nearly as many games as i've explored and found there is a never-ending list of games that i want to play at the moment the one that i really 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 want to play and haven't gotten to is uh kingdom by i believe it's ben robbins which is a gm-less game where everybody takes the role of a different sort of important leader in a defined kingdom. And you sort of come up against crossroads that you have to 
negotiate a vote on essentially, and that decides which direction the kingdom will go. And it's the kind of formula that can be laid over all kinds of different stories. You know, it's not necessarily like a fantasy kingdom. It can be really just any group of people working towards a goal. So GMless games like that are something that I've that I've become really interested in, but don't really have the the group to play them with. Um, another game, right. again, another GMless game, um, really sort of storytelling based, is Fiasco. Oh yeah, um, I really want to play Fiasco, and I never have. I want to play Fiasco so badly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> those are, I think, the two big ones at the moment, and the other one is um, again back to queerness and monsters is Monster Hearts which is a Powered by the Apocalypse game about uh, uh, monsters and teenagers and sort of the the trouble of puberty and teenage sexuality and teenage identity and sort of the instability there. Um, and I've read the playbook for it like over and over again, and I'm in love with it, but I haven't gotten a group together to play it. So yeah, three answers. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Those are, those are all like games that I haven't played that I would definitely be interested in trying out as well. Um, somebody who I'm, I'm going to plug uh, Jeff Stormer from party of one podcast. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to go on his show. I haven't. I would love to. <laughs> oh my gosh, you should because he runs really cool games and I'm going to get to go on his show too. And I'm really excited. Oh, so cool. I've like, we've followed each other on Twitter for a while and I keep being like, I want to say something cause I want to be on a show, but like, I haven't yet. He's so cool. He does like some really great storytelling. Yes. One on one. Oh, I've been obsessed with Party of One recently. Often where I hear about some of these games are like from him mm -hmm. and I get really excited. Uh, so I guess we've plugged the unexplored places, mm -hmm. which listeners should check out. Is there anything else that like is just really important for you to say about why representation in tabletop gaming is so important for you personally and why people should check out your podcast? Those are such big questions. They, they <laughs> Even are. after we've basically been talking about them for an hour yeah. and a half. Um, <laughs> cool. No, it's great. I love it. I mean, it's, it's what I'm really interested in. And I, I will speak specifically here to queer and trans identity, because that's sort of what I'm most intimately familiar with. But, you know, representation is so important, because there are always going to be people living in situations where their identity makes their living situation unsafe or unstable, or where they feel alone and hopeless. And knowing that there are people out there, and that there are stories about, not just about them, but about people like them being happy and doing good and cool things that are not focused on the trauma that they have to face is it can be the only thing that gets some people through the day sometimes. And, you know, if I can make even one person's day a little bit easier once in my life, I've done what I was put on earth to do, I think. That's beautiful. That's a lovely end <laughs> and a lovely way to fade out. Looking for something else to listen to while you're waiting for the next episode of I Am Here? Look no further than The Unexplored Places, featuring Christine Priebus. Support for the I Am Here podcast, presented by RPG Casts, is made possible by listeners like you. You can help keep the show going, get sweet excess bonus content, 
for as little as $2 a month when you become a patron on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash rpgcasts to check out exclusive rewards for patrons and make your pledge. I Am Here is a production of RPG Casts. The intro and outro music was composed by Emily E. Mayo. Special thanks to Peter Grelly for designing the graphic art and assets for both RPG Casts and for I Am Here. Visit the website at IamHerePodcast.com for show notes, transcripts, and so much more. You can find more about RPG Casts by going to RPGCasts.com and follow on Twitter at at RPG underscore casts. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening to I Am Here. It means so much.